We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined this evening by Angelica Ong of the Taipei Times. Hello, everybody. And Nicholas Smith of the UK's Telegraph. Good evening. And we'll begin with Health Minister Chen Shih-jong on Thursday, saying the government will allow more businesses to reopen next week as the Level 3 coronavirus alert is gradually continuing to be lowered. According to Chen, businesses include licensed spas and massage parlours, and eateries in department stores and shopping malls could also be allowed to reopen. However, the Health Minister says adult entertainment centres, including KTVs and saunas, will not be allowed to reopen due to continuing concerns about the spread of the coronavirus. Apparently, swimming pools are also not allowed to open. And the health minister is also stressing that even when the level three alert is lowered once again, people will still need to continue wearing face masks and adhere to social distancing regulations. Now, the current level three alert is set to expire next Monday. So, Angelica, more things are opening up. But of course, the question is, will city governments and county governments agree to open more things up? Well, my prediction is that they're going to be very, very careful about doing so because nobody wants their city. Um, now that, um, thank goodness, our case rates are coming down so nicely. Nobody wants their city um, to be the next hotspot. Uh, certainly not the Taipei City or Taipei County mayors. Um, we are still seeing, um, if I remember correctly, the very low but double digits uh, for Taipei City and Taipei County. Um, there were some days of single digits, but um, they really want to see if they can wipe this out. So my prediction is going to be um, not too many cities and counties are going to take the central government up on reopening the eateries. And I hate to say this, Angelica, but you showed your age there by calling it Taipei County because of course it is New Taipei now New Taipei City of course never mind course. and Nicola I mean do you see the city governments like they did before when they refused to open the restaurants up continuing to not adhere to what the central government's saying and continue to say no you cannot open your massage parlour I think unfortunately it has become a bit more political now um, and that Angelica's right that nobody wants to be seen to to be the place where the next outbreak happens. But city governments are also going to come under pressure from from local restaurant owners and from business owners who have really been suffering. So at some point they're they're going to have to find the middle ground here. Um, and I, I just think that you know I guess earlier in this outbreak we were all all expecting at some point um, we'd suddenly um, go back to, to level two and the kind of um, relative sense of norma normality. But that doesn't seem to be the case now. It's not looking like there's going to be a sudden change from one level to the next. And it is going to be this kind of very, very gradual reopening. And, and actually, that seems to be the right approach. If you look around the region, I'm sure uh, the government was looking at Singapore this week with KTV lounges where there was an outbreak there and, and kind of put Singapore um, back a few steps in terms of reopening. So tai Taiwan is um, it's fortunate in, in the way that it has been performing well compared to other countries in the region. It's one of the few places where um, there, the outbreak has been contained and that people, 
you know, can um, function relatively normally without um, being afraid of being infected by the virus. And it, it, the government, the, the central and the local governments will really want to hold on to that status. I think the most important thing really is to, to keep the borders tight at this stage. And what about the restaurants, Nicola? I mean, do you, I mean, if, if the restaurants suddenly reopened, would you see yourself going to a restaurant or would you sort of err on the side of caution, so to speak? I'm actually quite a cautious person, but I, I do think that um, restaurants, I mean, we know several restaurant owners who are really struggling. So I think for me, I would go to restaurants that are taking good precautions um, and that are well ventilated, that do have social distancing uh, measures in place and restaurants that we trust. I'm not sure that I would go to just any old restaurant at this stage. Uh, and certainly I wouldn't go to somewhere that was like really crowded um, and where, you know, I, I just didn't feel particularly secure. But there are certain places that I, I used to go to before level three that I would definitely go back to just just to support the, the owners and the, the people who work there. And Angelica, any plans to go to a restaurant? Well, um, I think Nicola is right on the money. It all depends on the ventilation. I feel like there are certain aspects of uh, COVID fighting that the Taiwanese have done a fantastic job, such as with mask wearing, very, very good compliance. But there are other parts of how to prevent and uh, mitigate the crisis that we don't seem to have learned exactly from other places around the world. And I feel like ventilation is something that I don't think people really get yet. Um, we're not particularly good at social distancing. Um, our establishments don't seem to have a, a great, um, great ha have grok the importance of ventilation. And uh, another thing, side note, is that we don't seem to understand that this virus is an indoor talking, eating disease. And outside it's safe. Beaches should be open, hiking paths should be opened, and um, I know they are supposed to be more open now, but my local hiking paths are still sealed tight with yellow tape. In terms of restaurants, um, I'm going to stay on the cautious side just because eating is such a, a big vector. Unless there is superb um, ventilation, such as outdoor dining, which um, there isn't that much in Taipei, I'll do outdoor dining. Or I'll do takeout. That's that's you know the two things I'm comfortable with. So, but I mean, Angelica, what about I mean, how long do you think many restaurant owners will be able to go on for if people continue not to go to their establishments? Uh, that's a very very hard question, Gavin. And um, uh, fortunately, there are um, people doing takeouts, and some of them are doing quite well, but it all depends on the kind of restaurant, doesn't it? I mean, if you are a providing fast, cheap food, you're probably going to actually be doing better than if you're doing more elaborate banquetty meals, just because those are not the sort of thing that people want to, to take out. So um, I see the restaurant industry getting a heavy hit. Um, I think I think that there are already uh, some government relief in place. I think there should be more. I think Taiwan um, is actually not a poor country and we should be making it up to the sectors that are hardest hit by giving them relief over opening up prematurely. I think that's a better way of helping them 
because then you're not endangering the overall economy. But of course, Nicola, if this happens, there becomes a spat over who should get the relief and who should get the bigger amount of the relief. Yeah, um, that's always a, a very difficult call to make, isn't it? Um, and I mean, there's no, there's really no easy answer to that. But certainly, the the retail and restaurant sectors have taken a, a huge hit, um, whereas um, semiconductor factories um, and kind of big plants have been allowed, like sectors that are key to, the, to exports, have been allowed to to continue. So I, I don't think that. Um, restaurants and retail can continue to to kind of carry the burden for too much longer um, and that they do need extra assistance. And of course, this week, talking about the sort of shopping and eating area, we had a chap this week. I believe he was from a he was from the Commerce Development and Research Institute. And he was telling that he was saying basically that he believes the department stores and shopping mall operators need to change the way they operate. And Wang Jian Bin said that basically these places, department stores and shopping malls, should guarantee that they have basically social distancing can be met and also develop a bigger online presence. So, I mean, Nicola, shopping malls and department stores, and he also said that they should continue to do this even if the level three alert is lifted. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't think that's entirely practical. I mean, how do you maintain social distancing measures in an open plan um, shopping centre, department store, um, where you've got lots of different outlets um, all bunched in together. I mean, who's responsible for what? Um, people are still going to want to go shopping. I, I do think it's a good point that you could switch um, to more online sales, but then what happens with, with jobs? Um, and, you know, people who traditionally work in these shops, uh, that's that's going to be a whole knock-on effect. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure shops will start to adjust their practices um, just to keep sales going at least and I, I think it's it's good to evolve in that way but I just can't see people tiring of shopping malls anytime soon. I think people are, are going to want to, to go back to kind of traditional ways of, of shopping and just hanging out at the mall and, and, and you can't really window shop online it's not quite the same thing. Well I think that uh, first of all if you look at how people have already changed their consumer habits. Taiwanese are in fact already getting very used to shopping online. And uh, if you look at the companies Momo.com or PC Home, they've all have record quarters, record months, record sale days. And um, I think it's one of those things. The Taiwanese are going to go back to the department stores. That's definitely going to happen. It is a way of life. It is something that people do for entertainment. And I don't see it changing um, permanently because of the coronavirus. I think this guy that you talked to would probably get a little bit more credit if you talk if he talked about how shopping malls can improve their ventilations. And luckily, they tend to be rather large areas. And I think you're you're going to have this self-moderation effect where during the coronavirus, most people, including me, but most Taiwanese people are doing a very good job of self-moderating. And I feel like that's something we haven't talked about before is that the Taiwanese rules are actually more lax than many European rules. But in terms of enforcement, the Taiwanese have been 
much stricter and they've gone above and beyond uh, in terms of uh, making sure they don't personally um, spread or get the virus. I mean, when you've been to the supermarket over the past two months, I mean, have you run into any people that have just either deliberately not cared about the social distancing rules or have just been unaware of them or they've just been simply to say this simply, they've been mentally unaware of anything? I would say it's this weird blend where there's less people out and about, far, far less people. A lot of people are doing a great job at staying home. But somehow, when they are out, <laughs> they don't tend to have super good awareness of social distancing. And I don't know why that is. I really don't know. But um, I haven't noticed people doing a particularly good job about respecting, you know, in um, uh, East 7-Elevens, they have those lines in the ground about how far apart you should be. People have just kind of been ignoring those in my, at my local 7-Eleven anyhow. And what have you been doing? Have you been have you been advising people they should probably step back two meters? Well, you know, uh, we've all got our masks on. I'm just there to get my groceries and go. I try not to talk <laughs> inside. So I, I basically I observe it and um, it does not please me. But at the same time, I think for me personally, uh, it's better just to get my stuff and go. And um, frankly, I don't go out much, you know, even as a reporter, I did uh, go out to do an interview yesterday, but um, that was the first one since lockdown. Yeah. And Nicola, any problems with social distancing? Uh, Not really. Um, I mean, I certainly like with uh, mask wearing has been really high. That's the only thing that really Mm. bothers me if I if I see people who don't wear masks, but that's extremely rare. Um, and fortunately, my job is flexible enough that I can go to a supermarket during a quiet time. So I've never really um, been worried about that. Um, I've tried to kind of cut down trips to big supermarkets and, and go to more lo- local shops. Again, shops that are better ventilated. There's a there's a fruit and veg shop down down the road that's that's open air essentially. So um, I prefer to go places like that. But um, I think with the limited spread um, in Taipei, you have to be you have to be careful, but there's no need to be panicked about about things. And moving on and vaccines, there was some controversial vaccine news this week as the Food and Drug Administration gave emergency use authorization to the coronavirus vaccine developed by Taiwan's Medigen Vaccine Biologics. Now, the FDA director, Wu Shoumei, says the decision was made by a panel of 21 experts who felt that Medigen's data on the vaccine's production of antibodies in phase two trials met with local standards. Now, according to Wu, 18 members in the panel voted in favor of granting the EUA to Medigen with one objection, while one expert asked for more documentation before making the final decision. Now, the FDA director went on to say that a subgroup of Medigen phase two clinical trial participants were tested, especially for the EUA purpose. And they showed basically 
a zero conversion rate of 95.5%, indicating that almost all trial participants developed specific antibodies to the virus in their blood. And they were also found to have generated a concentration of virus neutralizing antibodies that was 3.4 times higher than that found in a controlled group of 200 people here in Taiwan who received two doses of AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, however, it all sounds good and proper, but the data, well, the data is somewhat questionable because certain people are saying, well, it doesn't quite meet the standards because you haven't done a phase two clinical trial. Now, all this was too much for the KMT, who, along with criticizing the failure to do a phase three trial before it actually gets a UAE, they also filed a lawsuit against Health Minister Chen Zhejiang and FDA Administration Director Wu Mei, alleging corruption in the decision to issue the EUA to Medigen for its coronavirus vaccine. According to the KMT, the Taiwan has set the lowest bar for vaccine approval worldwide and the FDA has ignored standard procedures. And KMT Caucus Secretary General Zhang Liwen is claiming that Medigen's decision to start producing the vaccines before it in fact received any EUA is evidence that the company was given assurances that this vaccine would be approved and made available for use here. While KMT Chairman Johnny Zhang is calling for the vaccine review process to be more transparent. So Angelica, Medigen getting a bit of a controversial UAE and the KMT claiming it's corrupt. I, I mean, I presume you would believe that claiming it's corrupt is probably going too far, but the questioning the how it was allowed to get the EUA is possibly okay. Well, the thing about the EUA is um, Medigen passed phase two with flying colors. And uh, well, under the best of circumstances, under ideal circumstances, Yes, we should wait for phase three. Um, I think we are um, not under ideal circumstances right now. And there's, uh, I'm personally fine with the EUA. But just because Medigen received the EUA doesn't mean that we need to all get Medigen right away right now. I think we have to balance supply and demand. Um, compared to, let's say, a month ago, uh, Taiwan's vaccine situation is looking vastly more positive. So um, we've got all these um, new vaccine donations. We've managed to buy more vaccines from BioNTech. Um, and those proven international vaccines, I do believe, should be given priority over the metagen. But then I think um, to the extent which we still need vaccines, it's appropriate. It's appropriate that metagen haven't having um, done very well in phase two, um, should be uh, allowed the emergency use authorization. Now, here's the thing. It's not completely skipping over. Medigen isn't planning to just skip over phase three. In fact, there are plans to do a phase three right now in Paraguay, if I remember correctly, with a thousand participants. And that in the fullness of time, hopefully will come through with very good results. And at that point, um, we can take a look. Does Taiwan still need more vaccines? If so, time for the Medigen to come online. And even if Taiwan doesn't need more vaccines at that point, first of all, we might need Delta boosters, in which case it's really, or other variant boosters, in which case it's good to have a local supply. And also we will be then in a position to help other countries as we have been helped 
from Japan, from the U.S. Well, there are many, many, many other countries in the world right now who are in dire need of vaccines. And as all the variants that's been popping up, it keeps reminding us until we can um, vaccinate the whole world, uh, we're never really going to be free of COVID. And um, I, I see Taiwan's Medigen um, as being a very, very hopeful product in that global fight against COVID. Well, there's a huge difference between um, alleging corruption and scrutiny, isn't there? I mean, I, I think one public health issues that it is important to scrutinize decisions and it is important to kind of say, look, hang on, um, we need to know how this process was reached. But to allege corruption just looks politically motivated and it's a huge distraction to what needs to be done at the minute, which is to get as many um, safe vaccines out to the population as possible. Um, so I, I would really question that move of filing a, a corruption case. Um, also, um, this, this approval was given by Taiwan's own Food and Drug Administration. So if the KMT are alleging corruption against um, Minister Chen and, and others, they're, they're also implying that the, the FDA is somehow complicit in all of this. And so, you know, they're basically saying that they don't trust Taiwan's own FDA. Um, you had um, all but one of the experts on that panel say that they had no major safety concerns about this vaccine um, and that it could go ahead. Um, and as Angelica points out, there are going to be phase three trials in Paraguay. Um, and by the time this vaccine um, starts to roll out, we will know a lot more about it. Um, but so far, the results have been very promising. And you have to look at the other um, vaccines around the world. None of them have received full approval um, anywhere. And, and to say that Taiwan has the lowest bar of um of approval, that's just scaremongering. I mean, look at look at China. How much data do we have on Chinese vaccines? And yet, um, you know, the WHO has approved Sinovac um, for use, um, and and that's been used all over all over the world. I mean, this isn't um, this isn't, and we don't have ideal conditions. Uh, we had to get vaccines out quickly to control the pandemic, and. So there, there are still trials being conducted for every single major vaccine. Um, so you, you just have to take a bit more of a realistic view on this, that yes, there are some elements of risks, but the risk of the pandemic um, just becoming worse and worse on a, a vertical trajectory is, is an even bigger one. Um, and you do have to start investing in your own vaccines because look at the problems that the government initially had with BioNTech um, and just the, that kind of sense of panic where um, among the public where vaccines initially weren't coming through. And, and now, thankfully, that's over in Taiwan. Uh, the vaccine situation is much more promising. But Taiwan, from the outset, has said it wants to make its own vaccine because it doesn't want to be dependent on other countries. Um, and that's a that's a wise move. So you've got to let that process happen um, without blocking it through or attempting to block it through um, lawsuits that, that just seem to be very inappropriate at this stage. And of course, Nicola, this could work negatively for Medigen as well, because the public hears the lawsuit, the public hears the word corruption, the public hears the word no transparency. And regardless of Medigen's test results, the public really thinks that it's bad from the get go. 
Well, that's a risk that you run. Um, and there is sometimes a fine line between, um, you know, questioning uh, uh, vaccine safety processes and approval processes and, and generating vaccine hesitancy on, you know, on the wrong basis. Um, I don't see much medical evidence coming out from the KMT saying these are the medical reasons why um, we don't think this should go ahead. I mean, this vaccine has been approved by the country's top um, health experts. So you have to you really have to remove the politics from this. Otherwise, you are going to create a situation where people are scared to get vaccines. And that's just going to be you know, terrible for the whole of society. Gavin, I just want to point out the incredible hypocrisy of the KMT in attacking Medigen when they are uh, in the next breath kind of pushing Sinovac and uh, accusing the administration of not being more open to Chinese made vaccines, which I actually would not trust over um, Medigen. Uh, Sinovac, Sinopharm, any of them, there are whole countries that have been vaccinated with those um, uh, vaccines, and I believe the Seychelles, and they still ended up getting uh, whacked pretty badly with the coronavirus. Excuse me, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. So it really makes you question their political motives. If they have, here you have a uh, made in Taiwan vaccine um, under the um, watchful eye of our own FDA receiving an EUA on the strength of fantastic uh, phase two results. And they, they'd rather get the Sinopharm, really? <laughs> I, I really, I, I, I find that um, very difficult to square from a scientific point of view. And it only appears to make sense to me if they politically determined that anything that comes is aligned with the current administration is bad and wrong. And they're going to scaremonger that. And I find it really, really unfortunate because vaccines are too important to be um, something scaremongered. And there was actually a very funny meme um, that's being passed around about how you can tell some of these political affiliations by their choice of vaccines. Um, that if somebody's saying they prefer Medigen, they are deep green, they will take any kind of um, vaccine, no matter what it is. They're probably pan green. If they um, don't want AstraZeneca, they but uh, you know, Moderna's okay, they're probably blue. If they uh, only want BioNTech, they're deep blue. And frankly, if they want Sinopharm or they've flown over to China to receive a Chinese vaccine, then they're, they're basically CCP in Taiwan. And I have to say, there's, there's some truth to that. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and the government's online vaccination appointment system is continuing to notch up users, with the Central Epidemic Command Centre saying that some 8.87 million people aged 18 or over registered to get a vaccine shot via the system by a Monday noon deadline of this week. Now, that was the third round of registration on the online system since it was launched. The system, of course, allows people to choose which vaccine they want and then contact 
After they're contacted, they can make an appointment for a shot with their preferred vaccine becomes available. Now, the Moderna vaccine is still proving the most popular, with health officials saying that 3,913,731 people ticked the box for that vaccine alone during the third round of registrations, while 410,000 people indicated they wanted the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, the remaining 4,541,009 said they would accept either the AstraZeneca or the Moderna vaccine. And some 1.1, some 1.7 million individuals born in 1973 or before have been getting texts this week, informing them to schedule an appointment by Thursday noon, that being yesterday noon, to get their AstraZeneca shot. Health officials say 5.9 million people have now received their first coronavirus shot here, which translates to some 24.35% of the total population, while 154,493 people, or 0.6% of the population, have received the two doses needed to be fully vaccinated. Now, the government this week also announced that its coronavirus vaccination rollout will be extended to those aged between 12 and 18 after it receives 15 million Pfizer-BioNTech doses from three private entities. That statement came after the Tsuchi Foundation said it signed a deal to purchase 5 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech coronavirus vaccine, which it will donate to the government. Now, according to the Buddhist humanitarian organization, the contract was signed with the Shanghai Force and Pharmaceutical and distributor of the vaccine in China, Hong Kong, Macau and Taiwan. Now, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing and Honhai, of course, have signed similar agreements with the same distribution company for each purchasing 5 million doses each, which, of course, makes 15 million doses. Meanwhile, the government on Thursday announced that it signed a new contract to purchase 36 million doses of the Moderna coronavirus vaccine. With a cabinet spokesperson saying the deal is aimed at ensuring the government can meet Taiwan's vaccination demands from the fourth quarter of this year into 2023. Now, of course, the cabinet, although saying that, is not saying when the newly procured Moderna vaccines will be delivered. So, Nicola, more vaccines on the way and a healthy registration system, which I'd actually used this week and it worked absolutely fine. Excellent. Um, yeah, no, I think things are looking uh, very promising for, for Taiwan's vaccination uh, programme. And, I, you know, I it's it's great that within the space of a, a couple of months, almost 25% um, of people eligible have have got their first dose. Um, I think the public mood is much more optimistic. A, a couple of months ago, when the, the outbreak had just um, had just been revealed, and there there were very few vaccines, um, I I think there was that's quite a tough time for a lot of people. But um, the the momentum has really shifted um, and it looks like Taiwan will be on course to to um, have much of its population um, vaccinated by at the end of the year, um, which would be a great result if that happens. And of course, Angelica, the Premier said that he wants to have 25% of the population with one shot in their arm by the end of this month. Yeah, well, um, I think given given the the rapid rate we've been increasing our vaccination drive, we absolutely have the capacity, the efficiency to deliver those vaccines very very quickly. And I look forward to Taiwan meeting those goals. And we have to because if we look abroad and we look at what's been going on, it's very obvious that uh, hopefully not tomorrow or next week or next month, but sometime down the line, we can't keep Taiwan, the country, quarantined forever. We're going to have travelers, and they are going to bring 
Delta variants and other variants. I've heard of other Lambda variant. Um, they're going to bring those with them. And uh, they're going to be more virulent. And uh, we better make sure everybody on the island is double jabbed before that happens. Because, have, you had, um, have, have you had a jab yet? I have had one, Moderna, and uh, I didn't go through the system because luckily my company um, uh, went through uh, the journalists um, special group. And uh, so I already have one jab of Moderna. I didn't get a chance to pick because we we're all in one big group. I personally would have picked the AstraZeneca just because that was the one that was, um, I, you know, I wanted to uh make it as balanced as possible. And I think more people used to frown upon AstraZeneca, although I think people have gotten over it now. Thank goodness. Um, But I got the Moderna. Uh, The side effects were minimal and I'm looking forward to my second jab. And Nicola, have you had a jab yet? Yeah, my first jab was AstraZeneca. Um, So I was grateful to have that. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's the only way that, that we're going to be able to eventually open up um, is for as many people as are eligible to have the vaccinations. Um, otherwise, as Angelica says, we will be we will be stuck in Taiwan for some time to come, um, and the borders won't be able to reopen. Did you get any side effects with the AstraZeneca one? Uh, yeah, um, I I felt quite sick for a couple of days and um, I had a bit of a headache. But my husband had it and he didn't have any side effects at all. I'm just asking because I have to have mine next Monday. There we go. Anyway, we shall see whether I'm around next Friday. Anyway, before we go this week, President Tsai Ing-wen was forced to apologise to Taiwan's Olympic athletes on Monday after badminton player Dai Ziying complained about having to fly to Tokyo in economy class rather than business class, as had been promised by the president. Now, Tsai admitted that she gave her word that all Taiwanese athletes and coaches competing in major international sporting events during her time in office would fly overseas in business class because they were representing the country on the global stage and she went on to say that the sports administration explained that the arrangement was made to prevent athletes from contracting the coronavirus but she added that her administration failed to inform the athletes beforehand that they would be flying in economy class and Sai said that was an inconsiderate arrangement and it showed a lack of thoughtfulness to athletes representing the country. Now the sports administration head Zhang Xiaoxi tendered his written and verbal resignation to Education Minister Pan Wenzhong to take responsibility for the economy class boo-boo. Now apparently Premier Su Jing Chung, though, says, it, well, the resignation letter hasn't been accepted yet, as he believes that officials should focus on taking care of the health and the needs of Taiwan's athletes at the Tokyo Games, and the controversy over the flight arrangements should be dealt with after the Games have ended. So, Nicola, is this, is this a question of whiny athletes, or do you think that flying economy class so they didn't have to sit near each other and could possibly get the coronavirus made a bit of sense? I don't think it's whiny athletes. Um, I mean, I think it's there are a limited number of business class seats on any flight. So um, it wasn't going to be physically possible for every single athlete to. Um, I think on that flight, there were 50, 50 athletes and 36 business seats. So it, was, it wasn't going to be possible. Um, you know, it's a good point that they should have been told 
they should have been warned before. Um, but I, I would question why um, some officials got uh, business class seats and not the athletes who are, you know, really the, the game should be all about the athletes. Um, I don't think it's, it, I don't think it's a massive controversy. I don't think it's something people should be resigning over. Um, but I do think it was good for um, the young woman who did speak out. I mean, I, I think, um, I think that was a fair point to make. And I, I, I think that she, um, she kind of bucked a trend in a way of quite often, um, Taiwan can be quite hierarchical um, and maybe sometimes young people don't um, speak out as much as they could about, you know, what they what they see to be unfair. And she did that. And I don't think she should be criticised for it. Uh, exactly like Nicholas said, this is not a, mat- a matter about economy class versus business class. I'm sure all those athletes can do math and they understand that there weren't enough business class seats to go around. It's a matter of respect. Why, when you are the one representing your country in the Olympic Games, um, is some official sitting up in business class? I think as an athlete, I would have had no problem with sitting in economy as long as I know that, you know, one of our own, another athlete is given pride of place. So for me, it's not a matter of, you know, how many inches of legroom I got. It's a, it's a matter of uh, respect. And I think uh, for, it, sometimes from the small things, you can see how things really work. So from this little detail, we do see a culture where we have sports organizations in Taiwan where uh, the athletes are our biggest assets and they're nominally the most important part of our system, but are they getting the most respect that they need to be accorded? But of course, there's talk, Angelica, of when they return to Taiwan, they might not have to do the 14-day quarantine. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I think I, I sorry, I have I haven't gotten uh, fully up to date on that, and um, I wonder what the um, I, I personally was shocked that Tokyo went ahead with the Olympics. I think they should have been canceled on on um, on disease prevention grounds. You just have so many people from all over the world. Um, and uh, I've seen pictures coming out of the Tokyo Olympics that really give me pause that they're able to do this in a, in a, in a safe way. And uh, with all those variants um, zipping about, um, it doesn't give me confidence. It, it feels like a great way to take variants from every corner of the world, shake it up in Tokyo and send everybody home. So um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I don't know whether it's the number of Olympi- Olympians that's making it hard for, um, I don't know how, how many people go to the Olympics, but um if, if I were in charge, I would say that they're just like any other traveler, if not exposed to more risk as somebody who's been competing with um, other athletes from all over the world. Um, and um, uh, I hope that they are taking other measures to make up for the fact that they are not getting the full 14 days quarantine. And of course, Nicola, Taiwan is sending 68 athletes. So that 68 athletes will come back to Taiwan. And of course, about, you know, another 80 support staff and 
officials are going there. So obviously, do you think this is concern when they come back from Tokyo? If they don't have to do quarantine, all of them. Um, then, I believe yeah. some of them. Do, I believe it's just athletes are being. There's a question about whether they'll have to do 14 days quarantine, but support staff and officials will have to do the 14 days quarantine and then the self-health management. But the government argument last week or two weeks ago was the athletes have all been inoculated. Yeah, but if you're if, even if you're fully inoculated, you can still spread the the virus. I mean, you can still be a carrier and spread and and infect other people. I think that'd be a hugely bad idea to allow people to skip quarantine from an event that you know could be could become a super spreader event. Um, whereas Angelica says there's you've got people from all over the world. Um, just in this big melting pot of, you know, possible variants. Um, I think it'd be a massive loophole if you let athletes come back from that and not go through um, quarantine. I just don't think that makes scientific sense at all. And that's where we'll leave it here this week, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined today by Angelica Ong. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And Nicola Smith. Thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favorite podcast app where you can get access to one of our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.